Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Hila. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm so grateful to be asked to speak at this meeting. And um, I'm hi, hi guys, and welcome to the newcomers, the returnees, out of towners. Congratulations to the chip takers. Um, and I'm just going to say right off the bat, I'm super emotional. As soon as I saw my sponsor, who I haven't been able to speak to very often um, because she's going through her own challenges and. Um, you know, she sent out this really beautiful email saying, please be patient with me because I need you guys as much as you need me. And I haven't for a second thought about finding someone else because she's so important in my recovery, as is everyone in this room. So the fact that I'm even feeling emotion and there's tears coming up is such a sign of my recovery because um, it was a good solid 10 years where I did not shed a tear. I was just so shut down. I could not access my emotions. Um, I was just numbed out with the food. And um, the minute that I put the food down, um, there was just anxiety and fear and um, chaos. Um, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't live life without the food um, to numb me. Um, but I'll try to share, as it was suggested in the format, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, so I came into program in 2005, um, and um, I had various lengths of abstinence, um, and currently have 18 months of um, three meals and life in between. Um, and it's it's been it's been the most healing abstinence I've had. Um, and I have a food plan today and I, I didn't, I wasn't willing to do that, uh, prior, uh, to these last 18 months. Um, and just to get the qualifications out of the way, I don't, um, I do weigh myself now, but I didn't weigh myself when I came into program. That was part of my early, uh, um, what I did early on just to gain some sanity because I was so obsessed with numbers. Um, but I do, I can tell you that I was barely squeezing into a size 14 pant today. I fit into a really comfortable size 6. So, um, there's physical recovery, um, for those of you who've come, who've come in here for that. Um, I came, definitely came for the vanity. So glad I stayed for the sanity, um, because I really didn't want it. You know, they talk about how, um, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. I did not have any desire to stop eating compulsively. I had a desire to figure out the right food plan so I could, you know, uh, have my cake and eat it too, literally. I didn't want the weight to show up on my body, but I wanted to be able to use food to um, cope, you know. Food was my drug, uh, and after coming to these rooms, what I realized is dieting was my other drug. And that was the thing I had the hardest time putting down was dieting and that's kind of the work that I've done with my current sponsor for the last two years and it's brought me the ability to put down everything all the you know all the diseased ideas and behaviors and coping skills that I used 
um, and really work a program. Um, so that's kind of like qualifying where I came from, where, I, where you know, the recovery is. Um, but I'll start at the beginning. And, um, you know, I, I think like a lot of us, um, there were always feelings. I always had feelings of not belonging and not fitting in, being different than. Um, and food just numbed all those um, emotions. And I had a very active brain, and food slowed that down too, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, I I definitely think that I was born a compulsive overeater. I have a family um, that's full of compulsive overeaters. I have a mom who's still actively a compulsive overeater. And um, so I think I learned, you know, how to use food from her. Um, uh, and I think that I was born with a predisposition to find comfort and extra food. Um, and, it, and it worked uh, for a really long time until it didn't. Um, but I was born in a different country, and I moved here at the age of five, not, I'm sorry, at the age of seven, not speaking the language, um, you know, being the only girl in a family of uh, two, two boys and myself. So even within my own family, I kind of felt like the outsider. My brothers didn't have any kind of weight problem. Um, I was the fat kid, even though, you know, looking back, I know a lot of us can relate, like, I wasn't really that overweight, but I always felt really fat. So that's why, to me, like, this disease centers in my head first. It manifests in my body second. Um, but my first memory of, like, being obsessed with food was um, I was a, five years old. I was visiting my grandmother. I remember we were all sitting in the living room. Everyone else seemed to be sort of engaging with one another, having conversations, enjoying themselves. And I sort of was in this bubble. And the only thing I could focus on was this bowl of pistachios that my grandmother always used to have it on the table. And it was just like that obsession of I couldn't stop. I just wanted one after the next after the next. And I was watching the like pile of, you know, uh, the the, you know, the uh, whatever, the shells, thank you, the shells kind of piling up and like consciously, I don't even know if at that point I knew to be ashamed of that, but then my grandmother made a comment like, you should probably slow down on those, they're sort of fattening, which all of a sudden to me was like, oh, I must have a weight issue that's visible if she would make a comment like that. Looking back now, it could have been that my mom was overweight, um, Maybe my grandmother was obsessed with her own weight. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But that was, you know, that was my first memory. That was also my first memory of being ashamed of the way that I ate and remembering how, the effect of overeating. Um, and that's pretty much how it was as long as food was, uh, you know, as long as I was in my disease. I was disconnected from you. I was disconnected from myself. And it was just me and the food. And I was miserable. And I felt guilty. And I felt ashamed. And um, I felt depressed. It was really bad. Um, and so I moved to this country. Didn't speak the language. Felt really separate from. Um, and, you know, my parents ended up getting divorced about four years after we moved. Um, and food just, you know, it filled in the, it filled in the gaps. It helped me cope. Um, I didn't have any other coping skills um, at the time. And I just, you know, I remember it got really bad. I mean, just like it talks about in the OA 12 and 12, you know, um, I ate until I was sick, until, you know, I would put on 40 pounds, um, my clothes didn't fit, like, from 
six months, you know, I would lose 40 pounds and then I'd be right back up the scale and, you know, terrified to see people because um, I was ashamed that I'd put on this much weight. Um, You know, I've eaten burnt food, food off the floor. I've burned the top of my mouth because I couldn't wait till the food cooled down to eat it, like out of the trash can, even poured stuff on it and still dug it out of the trash can. Um, You know, just kind of demoralizing behavior around food um, and it was always done in secrecy I was very ashamed of the way that I ate so if I was in front of you it's like the model eater salad you know whatever it was like to look good oh, I'll just have an apple you know but I wasn't even present because all I could think about was I can't wait to go home and like just like release the pressure I can't wait to go home and just drown myself in food and um, I think around the age of 13 is when I started becoming uh, interested in boys, and then all of a sudden, like, the need to lose weight became paramount, and that's when the dieting kicked in, and, um, you know, I tried about every weight loss plan out there. I've done all the commercial diets more than once, you know, I've got uh, all the Weight Watchers materials, um, I think every time they switched the plan, I got, like, the materials. And, you know, I could never stick with it, but I always kept all the materials because, you know, one day maybe I'll like, get back to it and look at it and, and, and utilize it and, you know, bless you. Um, so, uh, you know, all the commercial diets, all the, like, diets out of the magazines. I've done the shakes, you know, two, sens- two shakes and a sensible meal. The third meal was never sensible because I was like starving by the time dinner came around, you know, and, and, and the rationalizing of like, well, I've only had two drinks, you know, just, I, I, you know, the, the truth is um, at my first meeting, I remember like reading step one and being like, I'm not powerless. Like I've lost weight a million times. And the truth is I didn't really lose any substantial weight on my own until I discovered diet drugs. That was the truth, but I was so out of touch with reality when I came into the rooms that um, I didn't I hadn't remember that fact. It wasn't until I started doing my step work and really like peeling back the layers that I remembered, oh yeah. The first time was Ben Fen, um, and the second time was um, uh, the stuff called hydroxycut, which is now, by the way, no, no longer uh, on the market. It's illegal now because people were dying from that, um, and I was abusing it a lot. Um, so I've done, you know, literally everything you can imagine to try to lose weight. Um, you know, and I thought the first time I lost some weight and I started getting attention, that I was hooked. Like, that was my drug. And I was like a heroin addict who was chasing that first high. But the reality is, each time I lost and gained weight, I destroyed my metabolism a little bit more. I wore down my my, um, resilience, my any sort of self-will that I had, uh, you know, was worn down. And, you know, after a while, diets just stopped working. I just didn't have the will. And it was demoralizing. Every time I lost the weight, I always swore I'd never gain it back. And then I I was powerless, you know. I was powerless. I didn't have tools for living. And eventually I would start eating again. And, you know, what I've discovered, too, is, like, the more that I restrict, bless you, the more I restrict, the more I'm going to binge. Like, the pendulum is going to swing in the other direction sooner or later. And um, what I've learned in program is moderation, you know, just moderation. 
Um, and so I've been on the anorexic side as well. I've been an exercise bulimic. Um, uh, you know, I've, I come by this uh, disease very honestly, and I've had it in all the different forms. But I remember thinking that I always thought that just being fat was my problem. Like, that was why I was miserable and depressed. And if I could just lose the weight, like, life would magically begin. Um, and so I decided, like, dieting was going to be the answer. And when I couldn't, um, when I, that didn't bring me happiness and I couldn't maintain the weight loss, then I thought, oh, I know what the problem is. I need to exercise. So if I just diet and exercise, that would be the magic formula. And as a result, I became a compulsive exerciser, you know, a bulimic exerciser. Um, and when that didn't fix me, I realized, oh, I know what I'm missing, the trifecta. I need diet, exercise, and therapy because I was going to figure this out with a therapist. And, um, you know, I do everything 100%. Like, when I decide to do something, like, I go for it all the way. So, you know, it wasn't enough to just exercise. Like, I needed to have every piece of equipment that was ever advertised on, like, late-night television. I owned, like, every, um, you know, every video, every, like, you know, exercise tape that came out, like, I was on it. I mean, I had a collection a huge collection of VHS tapes, you know, back in the day. And I had, you know, a, a Reebok step, and I had the slide. I don't know if you guys remember the slide. You put on these, like, socks, and it was a slippery thing, and you like, insane. I had that. Um, I remember at one point I bought, like, a industrial strength, like, stair stepper. Getting that thing into my apartment was a joy. Um, I think I used it, like, five times, you know. Um, so... You know, and the same thing with therapists. Like, I would, the newest book would come out about how to lose weight, and I would um, I would seek out the person writing the book because I was going to go right to the source. I wanted the expert. They were going to figure it out. They were going to fix me. And, you know, somewhere along the way, this little seed got planted of, like, oh, you know, I haven't tried the spiritual route, but I was... I was so anti-religion, um, and the word God used to make my skin crawl, um, that that just, my mind shut down to that immediately. Um, but a seed was planted somewhere along the way. I don't know, probably my higher power if I look at it now, but um, I wasn't ready for that. And so, um, sorry, I'm just going to have a little water. Um, so... Um, I, you know, I went along and lost and gained 40 to 50 pounds over and over again, each time becoming more and more demoralized, um, battle-weary, as they talk about in the big book. Um, and, you know, at this point, my life had become incredibly small, and my only purpose was to lose weight. And everything was put on hold. And the more that I held on tightly to try to lose this weight, the more things I squeezed out of my life. And, you know, somebody once said to me, what? I can't hear you. I'm too busy being thin. Like, that was me. I was so busy getting and staying thin. I literally had no room in my life for anything else. And I was spiritually, mentally, emotionally bankrupt. I suffered from depression. I never wanted to leave the house I didn't date I didn't make plans on the weekends my idea of an amazing time was um you know I just remember like 
the pressure getting so tight at the end of uh, Friday that I all I would think about is how I'm going to get to the store and get enough food to last me throughout the weekend because I wasn't going to be leaving the house. Um, and I would just, you know, lock myself and watch TV, lock myself in the house, watch TV, draw the drapes, disconnect the phone, just like it talks about. I remember the first time I read that passage in the 12 and 12, and I was like, holy crap, somebody, like, I really felt like I had been exposed in such a, you know, a huge way, because that was exactly me. I heard somebody refer to it once as the, like, Bermuda Triangle, right? The television, the couch, and the, and the refrigerator, right? <laughs> like... That was a well-worn path in my house, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I remember thinking, I remember thinking at one point um, that if I just had, like, a nutritionist and a personal trainer and a chef, kind of like somebody else we know that that didn't work for long term. But, you know, I remember when, when this when this, um, you know, TV personality had all that and was, you know, had lost weight. And I was like, well, if I had that, I could do it. Well, be careful what you wish for, because I got selected to be in a um, People magazine article and I got the trainer and I got the nutritionist and I didn't really have the chef, but we did have a chef that like taught us, gave us some lessons on how to like cook healthy gourmet meals. But, you know, I had the trainer that, um, I trained with five days a week, and then on the weekend I would do these boot camps, um, and I have lots of injuries to prove it, um, and I had the nutritionist that I went to every week, and he would do a blood test just to see if, like, you know, my numbers were changing, and he would weigh me, and he gave me all these, like, supplements. I didn't pay for anything. I really thought that, like, my prayers were answered. Well, guess what? Um, couldn't stick to the food plan, but I was lying about it, and so I didn't lose as much weight as I really wanted to, and... You know, as I mentioned, like, I, um, with each weight loss and weight gain, like, my body stopped responding. So, even though I worked out really hard, and even though I tried to stick to a food plan, like, when the time came for us to do the pictures, I was so disappointed. And I had, um, planned a, a trip with some girlfriends, um, who were normies and had very slender, beautiful bodies. Uh, I planned a trip to, uh, Cabo with them, which I thought would be a fantastic idea because, right, I was going to emerge thin and, like, be confident and comfortable in my body because, really, the only problem was I was overweight. Um, and I went on this trip, and um, I was miserable. Um, and at the time, um, there was uh, – there was um, – no transportation, like all the cabs and all the uh, shuttles, all public transportation and like private transportation, they were all striking. And so you like could, unless you had like pre-booked um, a uh, shuttle or a cab to the airport, like they weren't even allowed to come pick you up, like you were SOL. So um, my friends left a day before me, and I could not wait for them to leave because I was, it was on. I was going to, like, binge my brains out. And um, I went to the little convenience store. Like, this place we stayed at didn't have any phones or television, so it was just me and the food. Like, there was nothing else to distract me. And um, I went and just I spent everything that was more expensive because it was this little convenience store in this resort that was like remote and you know so that everything was like triple the price I did not care 
Um, and I just proceeded to just lock myself in this hotel room and just binge and binge and binge and feel really sick and, you know, and then eat some more because I am like, in the height of my disease, I am just a volume eater, you know, just like I want to eat till I pass out. Um, and oddly enough, as I was stuffing my face, I was also reading a magazine by said TV host, and there was, um, yeah, she was like kind of my mentor without knowing it, um, reading a letter to the editor, and it was about a woman whose friend was anorexic or bulimic or both, and she wanted to know what she could do to help her. Um, and the, they wrote some, they gave her some, some suggestions, like, here are these all these organizations that help deal with eating disorders, and one of them was the was one in California, and I went to the um, to the little computer um, at the at the front desk that was kind of like their internet cafe, and I looked up this number. I just knew that I needed help, and that I couldn't do I couldn't do this a lot uh, anymore. I could not go on living because that last you know. Uh, Nutrition. That was like my last hope. Like I thought that was going to fix me, and it didn't. So, um, I wrote down the the number for this. This um, it was the Eating Disorder Center of California, and I, I knew that I was going to call as soon as I got home, and I was probably going to. I wanted to check in. I wanted to be in an inpatient because um, I knew I couldn't do it alone, and I could just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I proceeded to just binge till I passed out and I woke up the next morning and I packed up my things and I was waiting for the shuttle and I was waiting for the shuttle and I was waiting for the shuttle and I caught the front desk and you know I was in fine form because I was just hated myself because I just binge and bless you and I yelled at the person at the front desk where's my shuttle and I called the shuttle company and um they finally arranged for someone to come pick me up. I get to the airport. Um, I go to the ticket counter. I give them my ticket, and the lady looks at me really confused, and she's typing and typing, and she's looking at me and typing, and I'm like, what's going on? Of course, I'm impatient, angry, and just annoyed with everyone, right, because I'm just coming off my high, basically. Um, and she says, I'm so sorry. Like, your flight was yesterday. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, like, your flight was yesterday, and you know, that's my that's me and my disease. Like checked out, unaware, like clueless and disconnected and detached. And I just think like, thank God, like somebody came and picked me up and took me to the airport. I don't know what I would have done. So I had to buy another ticket. I had to sit at the airport and wait for like four hours. And I was miserable, as you all know what it's like the day after a binge. I was bloated and uncomfortable, and, like, there were kids running around the um, the terminal, and they were annoying the crap out of me, and uh, I finally made it home, and um, I proceeded to lock myself up uh, in my apartment for a month and put on 30 pounds, and that's where dieting takes me, like, um, extreme restriction and dieting and exercise is what I did before I went to Mexico, and when I came back, like, the pendulum swung in the other direction, and I just went crazy um and you know like I mentioned I always ate in secrecy like by the end of that 30 days I didn't even care like I barely left my house but um I had neighbors upstairs who were also addicts and I they used to keep a huge bowl of candy and I was just like going up there every hour like getting my fix like I didn't care I you know to put on 30 pounds in a month like it's noticeable 
I was bloated all the time and and um, and I didn't care. I was going up there and it's like that was kind of like my bottom. I didn't care if anyone knew, you know, because it was always about keeping up appearances for me. Um, so I called that number at the end of 30 days, and I will mention, too, that one of the girls that went with me to Mexico had gotten sober in AA 16 years prior, and she was my um, Eskimo. And um, she uh, she kind of saw me, like, go downhill in a very short amount of time. She said, you know, there's this program called OA, and AA helped me, and perhaps maybe OA will help you. And... Um, I'd been at an OA meeting when I was 16, one, and, you know, at the time I wasn't even close to being ready. I was not done dieting and trying to control and manipulate this, you know, disease. Um, so I'd known about OA, but it was never something that I thought I was going to go to. Um, and uh, and then I called the Eating Disorder Center, and I said, I want to know if I'm sick enough to get checked in to um, in-person uh, inpatient treatment and the woman said I have this guy he's he used to be the director he's now a therapist go see him he'll do an evaluation and he'll determine if you're qualified for inpatient and I said okay so I went to see him and I'd already found an OA meeting um, I went to see him on a Wednesday and I was going to go to my first OA meeting on that Monday uh, and when I got in to see him it turned out that he had been in OA for over 30 years and also recommended that I go to that meeting and I just feel like that's kind of the way in recovery that it's been for me is like the universe is constantly sending me signs like synchronicity when when I see when I when I hear a message over and over again like today I know to pay attention to that um and so uh he said you know I don't think I don't think you need impatient but I think that you need OA and so I said all right I was, I was willing to go to my first meeting and I did, and even though I didn't want to be there, and I didn't want to be one of you because, you know, you represented me, and you were a mirror for me, and I hated myself so much when I came into this program. Um, I knew I needed to be there. I couldn't deny that I was, that I had an eating disorder and that I was out of ideas, and, you know, by the time I stepped in my first meeting, I really wanted to die because my whole existence, like, was hanging in the balance of like when I lost weight then I could then life would begin then I would date then I would get the job then I would travel then I would you know just fill in the blank then I would like find uh, you know find myself and discover what it is that I like to do and, and I would be deserving of being happy and you know all those things that I like put off um, for so many years um, and so when I knew I couldn't lose weight anymore like I really did want to cease living um, I was severely depressed and suicidal. I never really attempted suicide, but I was constantly having, like, dreams about it. Uh, it was not normal, and it was scared me. And um, But the thing is, back then, when I first stepped into the rooms, I didn't realize that dieting was part of my problem, too. Like, that is part of my disease. Um, and it was really hard for me to decipher because, there, you know, for some of us, like, we need the the strict food plan and for me that was part of my disease not part of my recovery and it was really hard for me to like not be focused on wanting to control because it was very attractive to me and so when I first came into the rooms I um, found the most strict sponsor um, who was going to like 
be sort of my Nazi, um, like, drill sergeant, which is what I did for myself all these years, and I knew I couldn't do it for myself, and so I just found the person who would do it for me. Of course, I ended up resenting her, and I think we lasted, like, a week, and, um, you know, that didn't work out so well. But, you know, I never left, and um, I've had varying lengths of abstinence, um, but I never left no matter what. And... um, you know, what I can tell you about my experience of the last 10 years is that I had to find my path. Um, you know, that meant a lot of exper- experimenting with different food plans and giving up certain foods and then not giving up foods and finding certain sponsors and then, you know, looking for a more loving sponsor, um, going to different meetings, you know. Uh, you know, I told you, like, the word God really, um, 10 minutes, thank you, the word God really, uh, I, I mean, I say I was kind of, like, straddling the fence when I came in between atheist and agnostic, um, but I started praying, I started meditating, um, I found a power that I could call, uh, my higher power, and, you know, early on, I remember my sponsor saying, if the word God bothers you, scratch it out and put in HP, and then I was like, oh, how about HS, higher self, and I was like, oh, I like that, because those are my initials, I can really get behind that, yeah, that'll work, you know, like, whatever it was, I was willing to try it, you know, and that was all it took, was, like, a willingness to do something different, and, um, you know, I started working the pro. I started working the steps. I've never left. Um, at my very first meeting, someone um, came and spoke to me after the meeting, and they told they gave me some really sage advice, which I still try to pass on to anyone who listen, and I still use to this day. And they said, um, take a service position, get a sponsor, and share at meetings. Like that was like the beginning. And I got a service position at the Air Force meeting. And I have to say, in the last 10 years, I've always had a service position, at least at one meeting. It keeps me accountable. It gets me to meetings. It gives me a sense of purpose and usefulness. And that's what I was missing when I was in my disease. You know, I just felt like such a failure. Um, I didn't know that, like, I was trying to beat this disease on my own. And I couldn't, you know. Um, So... Uh, I continue to work the steps, and um, I've always had a sponsor in this program. Um, you know, early on, I was willing to go to any lengths, and so I did a 90-90 early in my recovery, and I remember that just catapulting me into a place of peace that I hadn't felt before. Like, I just, I needed to quiet my mind, and then as I started to get some recovery and, you know, for me, like this abstinence, this last abstinence that where I'm eating three meals and I commit my food ahead of time, not always at this point, but early on, probably for the first eight, like 12 or 13 months, I committed every meal. And, you know, I didn't do it perfectly at the beginning. Um, my story is that it evolved over time um, when I stopped trying to make it perfect and just trusted that if I continue to take the steps, follow direction, go to meetings, use the tools of this program, that it would evolve. Um, and it started with, like, maybe leaving, like, one bite for God, which wasn't always easy for me because I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm like, if it's on my plate, I want to finish it. I, like, I, like, I'm not done till the plate's done. And that's why, for me, like, I needed to commit my food and have moderation in my meals because, like, whatever was on my plate, I was going to eat. Like, I have an eating disorder. Like, for me, it's not about a certain food that triggers my disease. Like, the minute I take that first bite, I am in danger of not stopping. And it can be anything for me. Um, 
So I have to practice moderation and I have to have accountability with with my food. And when I was willing to do that, and as I said, for a long time I wasn't because I felt like a diet. Um, But when I was willing to do that, everything changed for me. Um, And I found a sponsor that uh, has what I want. She eats all foods in moderation. She is free of compulsive overeating. And, um, you know, I have to let go of, like, cutting out certain foods or banning certain foods. And, you know, the interesting thing is, if I look at the way that I eat today, it's kind of the way I was wanting to eat, but I couldn't do it on my own. And the only difference, like, from the outside view, somebody looking in would look like, oh, you look like you're on a diet, which I really don't think I do look like I'm on a diet. But the way that I eat today is the way that I try to eat on my own prior to program and my recovery. And the only difference between what's happening behind the scenes is that today I make food choices from a place of self-love and wanting to take care of myself and wanting to be present and feel good in my body and show up for the life that I have today because of this program. And the way that it looked before and what was behind the scenes before was self-hatred and, like, I hate myself so much and I'm so disgusting that I have to lose this weight in order to be lovable and worthy of alive um so from the outside it might look the same but it this is an inside out job and for me like it had to start with the inside and i'm really clear today that had i come in gotten the right food plan and somehow miraculously been able to like maintain a diet i would have left a long time ago and i'd have probably been back with 30 more pounds or maybe i wouldn't have come back maybe i would have attempted suicide i don't know i'm glad i never tried to find out um you know, and a little bit about what it's like today, like, um, part of my, part of what happened as a result of my disease is that I stopped being able to show up for anything, and so that included my job, and so I decided I was going to become self-employed, which really meant I could binge whenever I wanted, and I didn't have to get dressed in the morning and show up to go anywhere, and so even though I thought I discovered, like, the perfect, like, way to manage it, it wasn't great, and um, I did manage to, you know, support myself for all these years, but I knew that working from home wasn't working for me, and it took me three years of working steps and praying and meditating and asking for support to be willing to, like, step outside of my house and get a job, and, um, you know, my head told me all kinds of lies, as it does with most anything that I'm afraid of. Like, my disease will jump in there and just, like, tell me, not you know it's like the boogeyman it it told me you don't have any real bankable skills you don't know how to be around people how are you possibly going to drive to work every day um what are you going to do with your dog she's been with you since she was eight weeks old how are you ever going to like afford daycare for her i mean i had so many reasons not to go out and find a job except that i knew when i when i got absent at this last time like everything came in to shape like when the disease was quieted the healing began um and today i have a job making more money than i could ever imagine i love what i do so much like it is a joy for me to go to work like that is so contrary to what i believed before i left the house to pursue even finding a job and all these things i did with the support of my sponsor my fellows my higher power I didn't do any of this stuff alone, you know. I just was willing to, like, admit I'm terrified and I need help and could you walk me through this? Could you be with me while I do this? Um, a ton of book ending, you know. Like I said, I commit my food ahead of time. It just keeps me accountable and it just leaves a lot of li- like room for life. Um, I sponsor four amazing women. 
today, um, sponsoring used to be such a chore for me because I it did because I thought that I was responsible for your recovery because I'm a self-centered addict, right? And it's all about me and I have this power, right? And today I realize like we all walk our own path and we all find recovery and a higher power um, in our own time. And all I have to do is um, share with you what worked for me. And you can either do it or not. And whether you do or not, it's okay with me. And, you know, it took me 10 years, eight years to be willing to have a food plan to commit my to commit my meals. And today that feels like such a loving thing. It doesn't feel like a restrictive thing. It doesn't feel like a punishing thing. Um, and, um, you know, so I have this job that I love. Um, I have a social life. I'm dating. Um, I love myself today. And I can say that without any reservation. And it chokes me up. Because I didn't think that was possible unless I was, like, you know, anorexic. Um, the other thing I realized is that I'll never be thin enough. My body will never be good enough. And so I stopped trying to make that some attainable goal for me. Um, today I want to be healthy, and I want to be abstinent. I want to be clear-minded. I want to have freedom from the obsession, which, you know what, 99.9% of the time I am. I do not think about food between meals. You know, I think about food when my stomach's like, it's time to eat. I'm hungry. Or, like, I get a little bit, you know, like, faint, which doesn't happen very often. But, you know, like, whatever physical signs come up, I'm like, oh, that's when food enters my mind. Like, as normal as I'm ever going to be around food, you know. But like I said, when I take that first bite, um, if I haven't anchored myself um, by making a commitment or knowing ahead of time and making the commitment to myself of, like, this is what I'm having, I'm in danger. I am. I'm, like, what, one of the things that I realized uh, in, this, in this new abstinence is that uh, if I don't, like, put my food on a plate and sit down before I take my first bite, I've poked that sleeping bear. Like, I have triggered my disease, whether I know it or not. If I'm, like, preparing my meal and I'm taking that first impulsive bite, if I have impulsivity in my meal, like, I'm, it's like Russian roulette. I'm rolling the dice. I, I might not be able to stop, you know, and I'm, I'm being told I need to wrap up. So I'll just, I'll just end with this. Um, I've learned a whole lot in this program. I don't ever plan on leaving, and um, today um, I have loving thoughts and I love myself and um, I have a life that I really want to show up for and I'm really, really grateful to the program. So thank you for letting me share.